15 through 27 today. And I don't know about you guys, but I, I, I really enjoy being in the Gospels. This is the second Gospel we've preached since we've been here at the church, and I've really enjoyed Matthew so far. We've been in here almost two years now in Matthew. We've made it 11 chapters. There's some great stuff in the Gospels. We get to walk with Jesus and, and see where he went. We get to hear Jesus and what he, the sermons that he preached, and we get to, to see the miracles that he performed. There's some great stuff here, and I believe you guys come week after week uh, ready to see and to hear what Jesus is going to do this week, and it's an amazing book, uh, but there's also, and I want to say this because of the sermon today, there's also some very tough stuff in the Gospels, some difficult stuff, and that's what we're going to look at today. These, this passage today is the kind of passage that's hard to hear. It's the kind of passage that we really don't talk about a whole lot. We'd rather not talk about a whole lot. It's the kind of stuff that you whisper about. It's the kind of stuff that everybody says, let's just keep that uh, private. Let's just kind of skip that and move on to the good stuff because there's some very good verses for next week. But today I want to show you something that's not very easy to talk about, not very easy to preach about. I want to show you in this passage the truth about rejecting Jesus Christ. The truth about rejecting Jesus Christ. And the truth is, and I'll go ahead and tell you the main point of the sermon today. Here's the truth about rejecting Christ. The greatest tragedy in the world is in rejecting Jesus Christ. So let's read this passage. Stand with me. Let's read. I'm going to read verses 15 to 27 of Matthew chapter 11. And we'll tell you today, and I almost titled the sermon, The Hard Truths About Rejecting Christ, because these are hard truths. I know I just set the stage now. You guys are so excited for a very hard passage. But uh, these are some hard truths about rejecting Christ. Starting in verse 15, Jesus says, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. So he's saying, pay attention, guys. If you've got ears to hear, you need to hear this. We may not like it, but we need it. Verse 16. Whereunto shall I liken this generation? It is like unto children, sitting in the markets and calling unto their fellows, and saying, We have piped unto you, and you have not danced. We have mourned unto you, and you have not uh, lamented. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a devil. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a man, gluttonous, and a wine-bibber, and a friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified of her children. Then began he to upbraid, to condemn the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done, because they repented not, they rejected him. Woe unto thee, Chorazin, and woe unto thee, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at that day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted unto the heaven, thou shalt be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which, had, which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained unto this day. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. And at that time Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and the prudent, and has revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for, it, for so it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father, neither the, knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. So Jesus here in these verses, and I know that's a lot for us to cover today, he shows us the truth about rejecting Christ. So let's pray together, and then we'll look at these difficult truths. Father, we thank you for the life that you have given us for the gospel that is made clear to us, for your word that is sitting in front of us. We have it right here in our hands, whether it's in a book form or on our phones. We have your word. We know the truth. We know what Christ has done for us. We know he went to a cross. We know he died and was buried and was risen again. We know he's alive today. We know he ascended into heaven and he's seated at your right hand even now. 
We know that if whosoever believes in him shall be saved. We know the truths of the gospel. And God, woe on us if we reject it. Woe on anyone here today that would reject these truths. And I pray, God, that you would reveal this, the, the truth of rejecting Christ to everybody in this room today. It's a tragic, tragic truth on anyone who would say no to Christ. So God, help me as I present these truths. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I believe, and I've sit and thought about it this week, and, I, and I've molded over in my mind, and, and I believe the worst feeling in the world, and I, you guys may not agree with me, you may have other feelings that you believe are the worst, but the worst feeling in the world for me is the feeling of rejection. That's the last thing I ever want to happen to me. I don't want people to reject me. I don't want people to say no to me. I don't want people to shut the door in my face. I don't want to have people, and you guys probably all felt this before, the, the feeling of rejection where you maybe applied for a school and, and you were rejected. Maybe you applied for a job and you were rejected. Maybe you wrote a note to a girl at some point, and at the bottom of that note you expressed your love towards her and your desire to, to be her boyfriend. And then at the bottom of the note you said, if you want to be my boyfriend or my girlfriend, then check yes or no. You know, Maybe you guys don't write notes anymore. That's what me and Steph used to do. We'd write notes to each other. I never did put check yes or no because I didn't want to give her the option. It's either yes or nothing. Uh, <laughs> you know, Don't give them an option. We might text yes or no now, but we, we used to write notes. And, and, and they, that was a common thing back then. Check yes or no. Do you want to be my girlfriend? Do you want to be my boyfriend? And the last thing you want is to get that note back and open it up. And you're going to open it up. Well, what did she say? And then no at the bottom. You know, Rejection. That's what that is. Again, maybe applied for a job, rejected. Maybe you tried out for a sports team and you were rejected, told you wasn't good enough to make the team and you were rejected. And we have rejection all the time. Rejection hits every single one of us at some point in our life where somebody will say no to you. They'll shut the door in your face. They'll put their hand up and say, no, I don't want what you're offering. We've all felt rejection. Everybody in this room. It's the worst feeling in the world. But nobody knows rejection like Jesus. Nobody knows what it's like to be rejected like Jesus does. Nobody's been rejected more than Jesus has been rejected. i got a list of people that rejected him in the Gospels. The religious leaders of that time, which were the most popular, most famous, most uh, upstanding citizens of that time, they rejected Jesus outright. I'll give you more. The government officials rejected Jesus. His own hometown. He said, a man is not without honor in his own hometown of Nazareth. They rejected him and tried to throw him off a cliff. That's rejection. It's like trying to ask a girl out and then she tries to throw you off a cliff after you're done. No! And then kicks you out. His own hometown said, no, we don't want you. His friends rejected him. Family rejected him. And get this. He's rejected daily even today. There are people in this room today that have rejected and will continue to reject Jesus. Jesus is described in Isaiah 53 as being despised and rejected of men. He is the most rejected person in the history of the world. Everybody, most people, I'm not saying everybody, a whole lot of people close the door in Jesus' face, put their hand up and say no to Jesus. We don't want to have anything to do with what you're offering us. They reject Jesus over and over and over. I'll offer you Jesus at the end of this sermon and there will be somebody in this room that that says no to Jesus. They reject Jesus. And I, I could pass you a note around today and say, do you want to have Jesus as your Savior? Check yes or no. There will be somebody in this room that says, I will have nothing to do with that man Jesus. And they reject Jesus. 
There's people in churches that reject Jesus. There's a multitude outside these doors that are rejecting Jesus. He is the most rejected person in the history of the world. And all that rejection began, get this, in Matthew 11 here. He has so far, looking at the first ten chapters, I could easily give you an overview of all those ten chapters, I won't. But he has made it perfectly clear in these first eleven chapters of Matthew who he is. By his words, he has stated who he is. He is the Christ. He is the Son of the living God. By his works, he has proven that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. We could easily say on one hand, that's who I am. I am from God. I'm the Son of God. I'm God incarnate. I'm God in the flesh. We could all say that, but Jesus turns around and he backs that up with miraculous performance, proving that he is who he said he was. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He is the Son of God. So he's made it very clear. He's proven it. All evidence points to Jesus being the Christ, the Son of God. I mean, that, that, that's undeniable. The facts are the facts. His claims are real. It's proven. You can sit there and say, ding, 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 ding. Jesus is who he said he was. And here in Matthew 11, in the face of all that evidence... Jesus is rejected. John the Baptist has preached Jesus, and they put him in jail, rejecting John the Baptist. His disciples have been sent out, 12, two by two, have been sent out to preach Jesus, and they've all come back and said, he's been rejected, you've been rejected. They rejected us in the face of overwhelming evidence of who he is. They don't need anything else. I mean, all signs point to Jesus being the, the Christ, and everybody rejects him. And it all started here. So Jesus in this passage, in, the, in light of all this rejection, he says, let me tell you the truth about rejection. To this crowd, he says, here's the reality. You reject me, here's what happens. Here's the hard truth. Here's what it means to reject Jesus. And they needed to hear this in front of a crowd of people. He's going to say, you want to reject me? You're going to reject John's teachings and the disciples' teachings and my teachings? You're going to reject all the signs and the evidence of who I am? Here's what's going to happen to you. Here's the truth about rejection. In this is a warning that the greatest tragedy in the world is rejecting Jesus Christ. So let's look at this passage. I know it's somber. I know it's, it's, it's hard. I get it. But we all need to hear this warning. Be very careful in rejecting Jesus Christ. This is not something you play with. This is not, not something you take lightly. This is not something that when Jesus Christ is offered to you, that you can sit there and act like it's no big deal, because it is. We need to know the truth about rejecting Christ. The world needs to know the truth about rejecting Jesus Christ. So let's hear this today, the truth about rejecting Christ. I'm going to give you three points, three, three uh, truths about rejecting Christ. And these are hard truths. So let me look, let's start in verse 16. And I want to show you rejecting Christ is stubbornness. Rejecting Christ is stubbornness. You guys know anybody that's stubborn? Anybody here stubborn? Probably everybody in here could raise their hand and say, yeah, I'm stubborn in some way. You guys know what it means to be stubborn? It's called stiff-necked in the Bible, and, it's, and it compares a farmer trying to get an ox to go in the direction he wants him to go, and the ox wants to go that way, and the farmer wants the ox to go this way, and they're fighting back and forth, and that old ox is, is stubborn, stiff-necked, won't do what he needs to do. 
And Jesus here describes these people. Look what he says. I love this. Verse 16. But how shall I liken this generation? How can, how can I describe my generation? How can I res- describe you people in this crowd? And that's what he's doing. He's trying to, to describe. How can, he's asking that question. Look, how, can I, how shall I liken this generation? What's the best way to explain this generation? What are, if, if Jesus was from the south, he'd say, what are y'all like? How shall I liken this generation? Here's his assessment of his generation. His people, his time, his era. Here's what he says. And what would you expect Jesus to say? Look, he says in verse 16, But whereunto shall I liken this generation? You're like a bunch of little kids. That's what he says. You're like a bunch of children. You're like a bunch of spoiled, rotten little kids. You're like a bunch of brats. You're, 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 and that doesn't sound like Jesus, but that's what he says there. And that, that may be a harsh word in itself. Brats, spoiled children that, that, that won't do anything they're asked to do. I've got kids like that. <laughs> you tell them to do something, they do the exact opposite. Sitting there playing their video games. They know it's in there playing their video games. I go in there and say, you got five minutes to get off there. Or else. I come back 55 minutes later and they're still sitting there playing their game. Oh, I didn't hear you the first time. You stubborn, little spoiled, rotten little child. Who made you like that? Your mother. <laughs> She's making soup beans. I can say that. That's what he says here. How shall I liken my kids? Spoiled. How shall we liken our generation? Spoiled. That's what he's saying here. You're stubborn and spoiled. You say, where do you get that at? It's, it's like unto children sitting in the markets and calling unto their fellows. This is what they would do. And in the market is, is the, the parents would take their kids, most likely the mother, and they'd go to the marketplace in town where they had all these things set up where they'd sell things. They'd sell food and they'd sell clothes and they'd sell all these necessities. And they'd go to the market and it would be in a big circle. And right there in the middle of the circle, you'd have bored children that didn't want to be at the store. We all know what that's like. And they'd be sitting there saying, okay, let's play some games. In our time, it'd be games like this. In their time, they played two games. Our kids play, you know, these games on the phone. Dad, can I have your phone while you shop? Mom, can I have your phone while we shop? And they're sitting there playing games and playing games because they're bored and they're spoiled. So they sit there and they want to play games and they want to be on their phones and they want to have their headphones in. And I look at them, why is your headphones in in public? And that's, that's not to do with the sermon. That's just my own, why? What are you listening to? Nothing. I shouldn't want to talk to nobody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that has nothing to do with the sermon. But these kids, look what they played. And they would call unto other children. And they'd say in verse 17, We've popped unto you, and you've not danced. You see that? What game is that? They're playing wedding. They played two games. The number one game was they play wedding. These kids in the marketplace would get all the kids together because one of the, there was two main events in that time. Two main events. One of them was a wedding and, and the other one was a funeral. So they played two games. Let's get everybody together and let's pretend to have a wedding. And we've got a bride and we've got a groom and we've got singers and we've got people playing instruments and we all walk together and, you know, we play, we play wedding. That sounds like a fun game. I'll be the bride. Who's going to be the groom? Check, or the bride. Uh, let's check yes or no. You know. So who's playing? These kids are playing wedding. And they said, you sit there and ask the other kids to play. You want to play wedding with us? And those kids would sit there and say, nope, not playing that game. And then they'd come up with game number two. 
Look what game number two is. We have mourned unto you, and you've not lamented. They were playing funeral. Funerals was a week-long event, and those kids would see their families at funeral. I'm, I'm sure they'd sit there saying, who wants to be the dead guy? You know, who wants, and so they're asking all who's going to play this role and that role. Instead of, instead of laughing and, and having a good time at wedding, they'd all pretend to mourn and, and wail and make noises and cry. That's the other game that they played. Can you imagine if we told our kids, play wedding, play funeral? They can't spell funeral without fun. <laughs> yeah, I said it, I did. And it says we ask them to play funeral. And what do they do? No. You ask them to play wedding, and they didn't want to play wedding, so let's come up with another game. Let's come up with a funeral and see if they want to play that. And the wedding was no, and the funeral was no. And these kids are sitting on the sidelines saying, we don't want to play anything. We're stubborn. We ain't playing nothing. No matter what you come up with, we're not playing it. They're like a bunch of spoiled, rotten kids. You say, what's that got to do with that generation? <laughs> Look what it says. For John came. John's the funeral guy. You see what it says? John came preaching, and he wasn't eating or drinking. He wasn't, he wasn't the fun guy. He was a fearful and frightening guy. He didn't eat like they ate. He didn't act like they acted. He didn't talk like they talked, and he didn't dress like they dressed. He was a guy that kind of, uh, he would shout and bang. He was one of those hellfire and brimstone preachers that would bang on the pulpit and, and, and step on people's toes. That's who John was. He was this bizarre guy preaching repentance to, to that generation. And what they say about him? He's a devil. We don't want John. No, we don't like his message. We don't like John. He's a crazed maniac. He, he's, he's a little cuckoo. That's what, that's what John is. He's nuts. He's out of his mind. We don't want the, the, the sad, somber John. Maybe if you sent us somebody that was a little more upbeat and joyful, we'd like him. So what does Jesus offer? Look at this. So the Son of Man came, verse 19... And he was different than John, wasn't he? John wasn't eating or drinking. John was sad. John was a funeral game. And you didn't want to have nothing to do with him. You called him a devil. And then Jesus came. The Son of Man came. And he ate and he drank. And he, he hung out with everybody. John hung out with, hung out with nobody. And Jesus hung out with everybody. John wouldn't eat and drink like they did. He wasn't into the social, around social people. He wasn't doing those sort of things. He was in the wilderness. And you said no to John. But Jesus came and he, he was different. He came and he offered a wedding feast. Jesus came and, and he was associating with everybody. He was with the riffraff. It was a festival. It was joy. It was miracles. His message was the same. John preached repentance and Jesus preached repentance. They just did it in different ways. And you rejected John and called him a devil. And you rejected Jesus and you called him a party guy. <laughs> Gluttonous, wine-bibber, and a friend of publicans and sinners. You rejected both. You're like a bunch of stubborn kids sitting there saying, I don't like John. I don't like Jesus either. I don't want to have nothing to do with none of them. I don't care if he preaches somberly and sadly. That's not my topic. And I don't care if he preaches in a, in a joyful way. I, I, either way, I'm not going to have either one of them. You spoiled, rotten kids. That's what Jesus is saying. Yes, that's your generation. You've rejected. Kind of like us. Stubborn, stiff-necked. No matter what. We don't have nothing to do with Jesus. Excuse after excuse after excuse. And the real reason is they, didn't, they just didn't want to bow their knee to Jesus. They didn't want to repent and turn to him. 
And when people don't want Jesus, they'll come up with any excuse they can come up with. I've heard everything that you could, every excuse people could give. Let me give you a couple of excuses, and I don't have time to get into this, but let me give you a couple of excuses that I've heard in rejecting Jesus. I've heard people reject churches in this way. The preacher was too loud. Oh, the preacher was too soft-spoken. It's like Goldilocks. The church service was too long. The church service was too short. The music was too loud. The music was too quiet. The carpet was too red. The carpet wasn't red enough. The soup beans were too hot. The soup beans weren't hot enough. The preacher preached too short. No, no. <laughs> Never heard that one. The preacher preaches too long. The preacher preaches too short. I mean, it's just one thing after the other. It's, it's, it's excuses after excuse after excuse after excuse. And the reality is, you just don't want Jesus. You don't want to repent. You don't want to turn your life over to Him. I've got some excuses. I've heard people tell me, to my face, I don't need Jesus. Really? That's your excuse? You need Jesus more than you need another breath of air in your lungs. I've heard people tell me this, there's too many hypocrites. Have you heard that one? For every one hypocrite you see, there's a hundred that's as real as they can be. And you're going to let one hypocrite send your soul to hell? That's your excuse? It's just an excuse. You don't want to, you don't, you don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. I've heard this one. I will later. What if you don't have later? What if, what if your soul will be taken from you tonight? That's just an excuse. You don't want Jesus. I've heard this one. I'm not ready to change my life yet. Go on. Live your life. That's just an excuse. You don't want Jesus. I've heard this one, and it's the worst one of all. I just don't believe all that stuff. In the face of all the evidence and all the truth that you could ever want in this book, you're going to say you don't believe it. You just don't want Jesus. You are stubborn. You're an ox. You're stiff-necked. And you're going in your own direction. And there's nothing Jesus can do to pull you in the other direction. Stubbornness. Like a bunch of kids. Is that not what our generation is like too? <laughs> Stubborn. I sit and beg people. I sit and plead with people. I, 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 I do everything I can. Why don't you see? And they keep going the same direction, doing the same thing. And they say, nope, don't want to have anything to do with it. Nope, nope, nope. I've calmed myself down before. People say, Josh, you calm down. I'll come to church. Okay, I'll, I'll preach calm. You say, Josh, I've never heard you preach calm before in my life. You, you sit there and you, I, I shared the gospel that way. I'll be very calm. I'll try it this way. And then I'm, I'm very passionate in who I am. And they say no to that. And they'll say no to this. No matter what you do, no matter how you share it, they're still going to sit there and say, nope, I don't want to have anything to do with it. There's people in church like that. Nope, don't have anything to do with it. Nope, don't have anything to do with it. Nope. I don't care what he says. I don't care what, I, I don't care. How shall I liken this generation like a bunch of stubborn kids? That's what he says. Impossible to please. Ooh. It's all an excuse to hide their stubborn hearts. And Jesus says there at the end, but wisdom is justified of her children. You'll see. You'll see. So rejecting Jesus is just flat out stubbornness is what it is. Why do people reject Jesus? Because they're stubborn. That's why. They're a bunch of kids. Number two i got to get going. Rejecting Jesus is stubborn. And rejecting Jesus is scary. <laughs> scary. Look what he says in verse 20. He changes his tone here. It says, then he began to upbraid. That word upbraid means he condemned. He denounced. Jesus in verse 20 is angry. 
He's not happy here. And he says three words that you never want to hear. Woe unto thee. It says, then he began to upbraid the cities wherein the most of his mighty works were done because they rejected him. Verse 21, woe unto thee. Woe unto those who reject Jesus. You say, what does woe mean? He's basically saying, it's, it's, a, word, it's, a, it's a word of curse. It's a word of damnation. And what he's saying here is, what horrors await you? He's saying, how terrible will it be for you who reject me? These words should terrify us. These words should make us shake. These words should make us sit up and want to pay attention. These words used to frighten people. And now these words, we are indifferent to them. This is almost like Jesus is looking at these stubborn people. Like I look at my kids and I go in there and I say, you've got five minutes to get off your game. And I come back a few minutes later and they're still not off. You know what I say to them there? And I'm going to start saying these actual words. Woe unto you if you don't get off your game. How terrible will it be for you if you don't do what I say? Usually I'll say things like, I will ground you from that game. And that usually scares them. And they'll take off their headsets and they'll, they'll put it aside. They'll say, okay, we don't want to get grounded. And, and it scares them. And if they still don't do it, I'm going to say, I've got a paddle with your name on it. And at that point, they have the game off, headphones sitting, and they're ready to, whatever you say, Dad, I don't want your woe to fall upon me. It scares them. These words were meant to scare them. Woe on you. And that doesn't scare us anymore. It's like Jesus says, woe to you. And we just sit there and keep on doing what we've always been doing. You say, woe in church today? Understand me. You say, woe in church today? Hellfire and brimstone preached in the old days? I remember it. I grew up with it. There was hellfire from the pulpit. And as a kid, I'd sit there and say, oh my! I don't want hellfire. I don't want brimstone. I don't want woe on me. Say it's like, oh, heard it before. This is terrible. We say it today and we hear laughs. We say it today and there's giggles. We say it today and they're, and they're still on their phones. We say it today and they ignore. We say it today and they don't understand how bad woe is. Who's the woe on? Because Jesus points his fingers. Woe unto you. Who? <laughs> He gives three very specific places. Three very familiar places. Curse on, and the finger of God goes on who? This might surprise you. He gives three different cities. I'll say this. Three blessed cities and three cursed cities. And the blessing and the cursing may surprise you. Watch what he says. Woe unto you, Chorazin. Woe unto you, Bethsaida. And then he goes down to verse 23 and says, And thou, Capernaum. There's three cities. You say, well, who, what are those cities? Let me, let me just explain to you those cities. Chorazin and Bethsaida was two cities, it says, where he'd done mighty works, dynamite works there. 
He went into those cities and he sent his disciples into those cities to do great works. And they perform miracles and, they, and he would raise the dead and he would heal the blind and he would preach sermons. And these, these cities had some of the greatest miracles and some of the greatest sermons the world has ever seen. And then he goes into Capernaum. This city, he called it here in verse 23. And thou Capernaum, you're exalted unto heaven. One of the greatest, most blessed cities that's ever existed. This city was his headquarters. Peter lived there. Jesus stayed with him there. Peter had a family there. He performed miracles there. It was amazing the works that he did there. It was ground zero for the works of Almighty God. This was a place where it says exalted into the heavens. No other place in history had the works that, he, that, that was performed there. Their works that they saw in Capernaum were up close and personal. I mean, they heard the, li- the, the teaching from his lips. They had front row seats to the works that Jesus did. They had the closest encounter you can have. I googled that last night because there's a scale of close encounters that you can have. And it's all talking about aliens. You can go close encounters of the, get this, this is pretty good. There's a movie, I think the title of the movie is Close Encounters of the Third or Fourth Kind. It goes all the way up to the seventh kind. You're, you can have a close encounter with, with, an, with aliens. Close encounters of the first kind is your, you see it from a distance. You're, you're way far away from it and you see it like in the sky. That's very far away. And, and as you go up the scale, it gets closer and closer to, to the point where you have interaction with an alien. You have interaction with it and you talk to it and you, and you see it and you can touch it. That's the greatest, closest encounter you can have. And this was, and you say, what does all that mean? This, they had the closest encounter with the Son of God than anybody had ever had and will have in the history of the world. They could touch Him. They could hear Him. They could see Him. He was, they were front row encountering Jesus in Capernaum. So that's the first three cities. Let me give you the second three cities. You see how, how blessed they were? And look at the other three. You got Tyre and Sidon, verse 21. You see that? The works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon were known for kidnapping Jews and selling them into slavery. They were pagan idolaters. They were the lowest of the low people in society. That's what Tyre and Sidon was. And then you have in verse 23... Sodom. You guys know about Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, everybody knows that. That that city is the worst city in history. That's Sin City before Las Vegas became Sin City. When you say the name Sodom, automatically in your mind you say that's the worst city that's ever existed. God asked and said, can can I find ten righteous people in this place? Ten. In 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 a city of thousands, is there ten people there that are righteous? And there wasn't. And they were destroyed. Get this. First of all, they were evil and they were godless. But they were destroyed because they were overrun with homosexuality. Overrun with it. So much so that when God sent angels into Sodom, they tried to rape those angels. It was overrun with homosexuality and sin. This city had front row seats to hell. 
Understand, the first three cities had front row seats to heaven. And the next three cities had front row seats to hellish sin on earth. Do I need to say that again? The first three, I'll say it one more time, we'll move on. First three had front row seats to the Son of God and the works of heaven. And the last three had front row seats to hell on earth. The worst places you could imagine. So you tell me, if Jesus is, is, is condemning and putting a woe on one of these places, which one would you expect? The place that had the front row seat to heaven or the place that had the front row seat to hell? The, 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 the most privileged and blessed place in the world or the most cursed place in the world? The place where God visited or the place that God would not visit? Which place do you think Jesus is putting a woe on. That's the surprise. Because look what he does. He says, Woe unto you, Chorazin. Woe unto you, Bethsaida. Verse 23, And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted into heaven, shall be brought, shall be brought down into hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained unto this day. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable it will be better for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than it will be for Capernaum. You see that? The woe is upon the three cities that had the greatest blessings. You say, why is that? Why is he putting a woe on the good places? Why is he putting a woe on the places that didn't have slavery and they didn't have a, a, a wide mar, a, a bunch of homosexuals there? Why is, why is he doing that? What's, what's all that about? Let me explain it to you and we'll move on. Because this is a good application for us. These three cities that he's putting the woe on, God visited those three cities. They had the two greatest preachers who ever preached, John the Baptist and Jesus. Jesus sent his 12 disciples to those cities to perform miracles and to preach the gospel. They had a front row, close encounter of the best kind there. They were the most blessed, privileged, and they had the greatest light in the history of the world. It all centered in those three cities. God came down there. Jesus performed miracles there. Jesus pre preached the gospel there. They had a great light there. And they rejected him. They had the greater light. And they still rejected him. They had the greater truth. And they still rejected him. It was all right there in front of them for them to see and for them to receive, and yet they repented not. They rejected it. They didn't repent. They refused. God was in the midst of them, right in front of them, face to face with them. They could hear his words. They could see his works. They could feel him, and they said no to him. They put John in prison and cut his head off. They put Jesus on a cross and crucified him. And they would ultimately kill the 12 disciples. They rejected the greatest opportunity the world has ever seen. And Jesus says, because of that, it'll be worse for you in hell than it will be for Sodom. In hell, there'll be a greater punishment on the religious Jews that rejected Jesus than there will be on the homosexuals who tried to rape angels. I'm not saying that Jesus is. 
They're both going to go to hell. Do you understand me? That's what he says. They're both going to go to judgment. They're both going to hell for not believing, for rejecting the life that they were giving. But one will have a worse place in hell than the other. That's what he's saying here. The fires will be hotter for those who had the greater light. The, the darkness will be darker for those who had the gospel. The, the pain will be far worse for those who saw the most and heard the most and experienced the most and still rejected it. That's what he's saying. You say there's different levels of punishment in hell. You better believe there is. There's degrees of punishment, not based upon the greatest sin, but based on the greatest opportunity. We have that, the opposite, don't we? We tend to think that the people in hell that will have the worst punishment are those who have the greatest sin. Jesus here says the worst hell is reserved for those who had the greatest opportunity and rejected it. There's a worse place in hell for Capernaum than there is in Sodom, for Sodom. Punishment always takes into account opportunity. Who much is given, much is expected. It's better, this, is, this may be hard for you to hear, it's better to know nothing about Jesus at all than to know a whole lot and reject it. Hebrews 10.26 says it's as if you're trampling under feet the blood of Jesus Christ. That it is, get this, that it is presented to you right in your face. Here's who he is. Here's what he's done. Here's the cross. Here's the resurrection. Here's his ascension. Here's all you have to do is believe. It's right here in front of you. And you reject it. And you trample on him underfoot. Let me apply this to you. Because this is very serious. You say, that has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with us. Because if you think Capernaum and Chorazin and Bethsaida was blessed, we are so much more blessed. I said last week that John the Baptist was great, but he says there that we are greater because we have more. We, he didn't know near what we know. He didn't have what we have. And here we are now. And we are so blessed. We have more light than all of those combined. We have more than what Sodom knew. Understand that. We know more than they did. They didn't know about Jesus. They didn't see his miracles. They didn't hear his preaching. They, they didn't know about the resurrection. They, they don't know about his ascension. They don't know he's sitting in heaven. They don't know he's coming back. They don't know. They didn't know what we know. We have it all right here. It's for us. We have a greater opportunity than even Sodom had. So much more is expected of us. I'll even go, let's go further. Capernaum had everything right in front of them. Every bit of it. But you know, it stopped. At that moment, they didn't know what we know. They didn't have what we have. They didn't, they didn't have the works that we see and the words that we hear. They may have been able to touch Jesus, but look what we have. We have it all written down in a book right in front of us. The evidence is clear. It's, it's all here. We are a blessed and privileged people beyond all of history and beyond thousands even here today. There's people in jungles that don't have this. There's other nations where this is outlawed and they don't have this. And here we are. You get the gospel preached to you every Sunday morning. It's offered to you. Jesus is offered to you. Here He is. And for you to reject it, there's a worse place in hell for that. You have greater light. We have greater light today than ever before. And for us to reject it, 
woe on us. How terrible will it be? I've said this before and I'll say it again. This church is the last place you'd want to go to hell from. You say, why? Because there's more light goes out from this pulpit and this church than almost any church you'd ever be in. You say, light, what do you mean? We open up the Bible, we explain the Bible to you, we teach it to you, we give you the gospel, we give you opportunities every Sunday. Will you receive him? Will you receive him? Will you receive him? And if you reject him from this church, there's a hotter place in hell for you. It's just the truth. This is what Jesus is saying here. How scary that is. Whoa! On those who reject, those who, who turn him down. That's very serious. We have a full Bible, a full gospel, and a full light, and it's right in front of our faces. Woe on those who reject. Let me give you one more point and we'll close. Can you imagine thousands upon thousands of people who have the full gospel right in front of them and they still reject it? I said it already. There's people in this church today that hear this gospel, they hear this woe, they're given the opportunity, and they'll reject today. Whoa. Can you imagine standing before God? I've got 10 minutes to finish this last point. But can you imagine standing before God one day and Him sending you to hell? And you say, Why? I gave you opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. Chance after chance after chance after chance. And you said, I'm not ready. <laughs> you said, I don't want to change. You said, there's too many hypocrites. You said, I've got a life I want to live. There's things I still want to do. You've given all these excuses. And in reality, you're just a stubborn little child that doesn't want to bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. Opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. Do you remember all those invitations, he'd say, that you, that you turned down every single Sunday? You remember those? You remember that gospel that just kept going out? And, and you'd sit there and say, why is Josh preaching the gospel again? Thousands upon thousands. I've done that here in Big Stone. Knocking on doors over and over and over. I couldn't tell you how many times people just don't want it. Don't want it. Like I'm trying to sell them a vacuum cleaner or something. I can see turning down a vacuum cleaner. I get it. But I can't see turning down the Lord Jesus Christ. I couldn't tell you how many times doors have been shut in my face. Dogs have been... <laughs> let them Get him! <laughs> Went to a house right over here one time. Me and three or four other, other people sent me to a house full of dogs just ready to bite me. <laughs> I jumped that fence. I looked like an Olympic high jumper. Over and over and over. No, 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 no. Rejection hurts. And that's my last point. I said rejecting Jesus is stubborn. Rejecting Jesus is scary. Rejecting Jesus is sad. <laughs> I, I, I want to give more time to this point, but I'll just go over it here real quick. It's sad. There's a crowd full of people here. There's friends. There's family. There's people Jesus knows, and he's getting no after no. People in that crowd are looking at him, no, 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 no. I don't know if anybody sent a dog after him or anything, but no. No, 
rejecting over and over and over. And I'm sure there's sadness in Jesus. He weeped over Jerusalem. He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would have, how I would have taken you in if you would have had me. Sadness there. But I'll tell you what there's not in these verses. There's no sign of any frustration, no sign of any anxiety, no sign of what am I going to do now? There's no sign of God's plan is ruined, I'm defeated, I'm discouraged, I can't believe people are rejecting me. None of that here. What does he do? Watch how Jesus deals here in these three verses with rejection. And this is how we as a church has to deal with people rejecting the gospel. Look what he does. I, I, I think this is fantastic. He's, how does Jesus deal with it? The first thing he says in verse 25, And at that time, Jesus answered and said, and he changes from talking to the audience to talking to, to his Father. And he says, I thank thee. You see that? How does Jesus deal with rejection? He thanks the Father. What? I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth. I thank you, Father. That you are in absolute control. That you are in charge of this. That your plan and your purpose hasn't changed. That even in the face of the worst rejection I could ever imagine. That you have all these things under your sovereign control. That you are in charge in heaven. That you're not sitting there saying, oh I can't believe people are rejecting this. What am I going to do now? No, our Father, Lord of heaven and earth is seated in complete control. That's where he goes. He goes to to the Father. I'm I'm glad you're in control. And then he says, look what what he says. It goes from the thanks to the Father to the truth of the Father. Because thou hast hid these things from the wise and the prudent and hast revealed them unto the babes. All this, he says, is in the Father's hands. He hides it who he hides it from. And he reveals it to who he reveals it to. That's what he says there. Understand, I, I can give you examples here. Sodom, the gospel was hid from. Capernaum, it was revealed to. God is the one who determines that. He will hide it from some and reveal it to others. It's up to him to reveal it. I can give you more. The Jews today, they are blinded. They don't see the truth of the gospel. He has blinded them and opened the eyes of the Gentiles, which is us, and lets us see the truth. One day in the future, he'll open the eyes of the, of the Jewish people again. But right now, they're partially blinded, and we are able to see. Our eyes are open to the gospel. It's, it's made available to us. I'll give you another one. Even in here today, and it may not be with this sermon, but even in a lot of times when you preach sermons, there's some people that will walk out and say, Wow, that changed my life! There's other people that walk out and say, I don't remember a word you just said. More of that than this. (laughs) Why is that? Why do some people say, oh, that's an amazing sermon. And other people say, I don't, I didn't get nothing out of that. Because God opens the eyes of some and closes it for others. When Jesus was talking to Peter, and he said, Peter, who do men say that I am? And Peter said, well, some say you're Isaiah, some say you're Jeremiah, some say this. Jesus said, no, 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 no. Who do you say that I am? And Peter said, I say that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus looked at him and said, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but our Father which is in heaven has opened your eyes to that. We don't understand anything. We don't know anything. 
unless the Father in heaven opens our eyes to it. And he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Who has to open our ears to understand it? The Father has to open our ears. I can't understand these things. I can't see these things. I can't experience these things. These things aren't in my hands. They're not in my understanding. I'm not smart enough for that. I'm not smart enough to understand the Father which is in heaven, Almighty God. I need someone to open my eyes so that I can see and understand. And he says that there in verse 27. Watch this. Watch how it works. All things are delivered unto me of my Father. And no man knoweth the Son but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son. And to whomsoever the Son will reveal Him. Nobody knows the Father. We can't know the Father. Unless the Son who knows the Father reveals the Father to us. It must come down in that way. Unless the Father opens our eyes and opens our ears to understand it. We never will. That's why Psalm 119 says it over and over and over. Teach me. Show me. Quicken me. Help me to see. We ought to come into church saying that open my eyes. Reveal it unto me. It says he's hidden it from the wise and the prudent. And he's shown it and revealed it unto babes. Those who are humble and desire it. And Jesus here says, thank you, Father. That all these people that are rejecting me. It's all in your hands. You reveal and you hide. And how does that work? We do that here. We understand that as, as we preach, the response is in God's hands. I plant, we plant, we water. Who gets the increase? God does. We preach it. We teach it. It's not in my hands, and I am so glad it's not in my hands. If it was in my hands, I, I know you guys, I'm, I'm going off script here. I don't do that often, but I'm going to. If it was in my hands to get people to respond, I would be crazy. I would be sitting shaking because I would feel that they were rejecting me and not the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's not in my hands. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. That it's you who reveals and it's you who hides. That all these things are in your hands. So all I have to do is preach the truth and to give the gospel and, and get water and plant. And I understand that you'll get the increase. That whoever receives, that's in your hands. And if they reject, that's in your hands. And you will do, look at that, verse 26, even so, Father, that you will do whatever is good in your sight. I'm trusting you in this. It's not up to me. I, I, don't, I don't have to get people to respond. Just preach the gospel and leave it up to God. That's how he deals with rejection here. It's all in your hands. Ultimately, trust God to do what's right and what's good. How do we deal with rejection? Trust God in it. In church, we trust God with it. You're going to reject it today? You're rejecting Christ. Deal with it one-on-one. -on -one. How does when somebody rejects me? God, you didn't reveal it to them. Even Stephen said that. John was teaching on, on the Acts in his sermon today. And what did he say to them? He said, you stiff-necked, stubborn people, you do always resist the Holy Spirit. 
be rejected. So what does Jesus do now? And I'm not going to spend much time on this, but he says in verse 28, I'm just going to preach one word because I want to preach those three verses next week. You want, you want the good stuff? Come next week. <laughs> verse 28, he says, come. I love that word. He prays, Father, I trust you. It's all in your hands. You reveal it to who you reveal it to. You hide it from who you hide it from. If they want to reject, that's in your hands, not mine. You're the Lord of heaven and earth. And he looks back down at the crowd and he says, now come. One more offer. You guys have been rejecting him. Rejecting him. Come. I love that word. It's a word of invitation. And it goes out to, to all. Come unto me, all. Every single one of you, if you would. If you will. God has opened your eyes to it and opened your ears. You have ears to hear. Then come. Come on. Come, come to me. That's what he says there. Come to me. It goes out to everybody that, that who will hear to, to come to Christ and to believe in him. It's so easy. Just come and believe. Just come and put your faith in me and who I am and, and what I've done. And the good news of this is, the great news of this is, if you come to him, him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast him out. If you come to Jesus, when he says come, there is no chance in the world that he will reject you. Not one chance, not, not one bit. There's no way that if you come to Jesus that you have to worry and fear about Him saying, I don't want you, shutting the door in your face and saying, leave me. No, 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 there's no chance of that. There's a guarantee in this verse, He will certainly never not reject you. It's not going to happen. If you come by faith, He will be there with open arms, ready to receive. If you will accept Him, He will in no wise cast you out. What a great truth. He will not reject. Ready to receive. Ready to accept. The last thing you want is for those arms to close. And if you reject Him over and over and over, those arms go from here to here to here to here. And you'll stand before Him in judgment one day and you'll be rejected. Woe unto you who is rejected by Jesus Christ. Arms are wide open today, ready to receive all who will come to him. But one day there will be a great rejection of those who rejected him. And woe unto you. Hell will be hot. Hell will be dark. Hell will be painful. The last thing you want to face. Don't reject him today in light of all the gospel that has been preached unto you. All you have to do is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and he will save you today. You have that choice. It's a moment of truth. You can either accept him, believe in him, or you can reject him. I hate to say this at the end, but I'm going to say it anyway. It's a yes or it's a no. Is it not that simple? I think that's the reason we in that generation, before we had phones, it was so simple. Just write it out and say, do you love me? Do you want to be my girlfriend? check yes or no easy and I lay before you today and I don't know who's saved and who's not here I don't know I don't know hearts but I know there's somebody here that's lost and you've heard the gospel today 
And you've rejected it over and over and over and over. And God, by his grace and his goodness, has given you one more chance. And you're either going to decide, yes, I'll believe in him, or no, I reject him. And there's not a good excuse in the world for rejecting Jesus Christ. Not one. So I urge you today, I plead with you today, and I'll do that. I'll stand right here, and I will urge, and I will plead, and I will beg. And then I'll go down there, and I'll sit, and I'll say, I thank you, Father, that you are Lord of heaven and earth, and that you revealed these things. You've hid them from the wise and the prudent, but you've revealed them unto babes. And I trust that you'll do what's good in your sight. But here we are pleading with you, begging with you, urging you, please believe in Jesus. Please put your faith in him. Please, please, please do that. Because the truth about rejecting Christ is it's the greatest tragedy in the world for you to reject Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for hard truths. This was hard. It was hard to study, Father. It's hard to preach. But this is the truth. And you called me to preach the truth. So I did. I've urged, I've pleaded, I've warned. I believe I've done everything that you've called me to do with this passage. And now I will go and sit down and trust you in it. But God, I pray that you would reveal this today. That you would open the eyes of the lost in here today. Open their ears that they may hear, understand today that they would believe in Christ. Put their full faith and trust in him. That they would say, yes, I believe in Jesus. May you, by your spirit, do that work. God, it breaks my heart to think that somebody would walk out of here today rejecting the free offer of the gospel. So God, may they come today. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As the music plays, y'all.